Welcome to Naming It, where we discuss pop culture, current events, and how they relate to the way that we live our lives, all through the lens of two black psychologists. Naming It is dedicated to acknowledging the elephant in the room, validating the lived experience of people of color. Coming to you from the Bay Area, California, we thank you for joining us. I'm Dr. Bedford Palmer. And I'm Dr. Lamisha Hill. Music on Naming It is provided by Lee England Jr., the sole violinist. Good morning, evening, afternoon. Yeah. Welcome to Naming It. Episode 22. 22. Deuce, deuce. Yeah, there's been a lot of wonderful athletes with the number 22. Rest in peace, Dave Durson, Chicago Bears. Rest in peace, Dave Durson. I, I don't know. Okay, good. 22. Good. That's his number. Um, okay, okay. Uh, my Chicago peeps random. and all my Jack and Jill peeps. Y'all know very, what I'm talking about. Very random. Very random. What? You uh, know, it's, some things just come to you in the moment. Uh, apparently, yeah. Okay, that was his uh, number. Th- that I mean, like, okay, okay. Uh, Twenty two was also one of my favorite years for my birthday. Really? What yeah. Happened? I just, just, I was just living in Chicago, living the dream. The dream. Right before I went to graduate school, and then I went to graduate school, and it all went to hell in a handbasket. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, Twenty two is a great year. Okay. You went to grad school at 23? 22. Wow. Yeah, it's young. Uh, actually, I did start grad school like around that same time. Uh, but anyway, uh, it just seems so long ago. Mm-hmm. seems so long ago. Um, so we're on episode 22. We're moving forward through uh, 2017, and nothing uh, has happened to, to make us have to stop yet. Uh, you know, like the, the black hole, like, Starting in D.C. and sucking us down into some alternate dimension where a president can be elected who used to be on a TV show that fired fake celebrities. Okay, and I um, just want to give a give a shout out, give a, give a big what's up to our colleague Dr. Janie Pinterest, who said, and I quote, "Proceed until apprehended." And so, yeah, it's 2017. We're still here naming it, and we're going to proceed until we are apprehended. Well, I, I, I definitely respect. Uh, I respect uh, Dr. Pinterest, but uh, at the same time, I, I don't feel comfortable with the 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 being pursued, apprehended, <laughs> kind of. You know, I, I you know, as a black man in America, I try to stay away from those kind of self terminologies because stuff could actually happen so i'm just saying i feel you i feel you but just move boldly and we've been doing that so. okay i can move boldly i, I mean well you, i walk outside every day uh that's pretty bold i mean because yeah anyway uh so let's do let's, let's before we go too far down because uh there's a lot of stuff that's happening right now with the inauguration and all these other things that are like we're going to talk about and how that deals with stuff uh but uh Let's let's start on an up note. On an up note, what up with our shout outs? Shout outs. Whoop whoop. Uh, 
We want to start out by giving a big thank you and a what's up to the Society of Counseling Psychology and the Journal for publishing an article and an interview on Bedford and I and Amy a podcast. And you can find that uh, article if you want to read it. Um, we have shared it via our Facebook and social media profiles. So you yeah. can also go check it out. Yeah, and it was a it was a newsletter. It wasn't the journal. We're not in the journal. It's a, it's a newsletter. Uh, no, I'm just saying, you know, I don't want nobody to be like, y'all ain't no journal, okay, y'all ain't no special, newsletter. y'all ain't a special issue, you got your <laughs> black and white picture in the special issue, no, ain't no shit, yet, yet, we'll get there. Um, so, I have a shout out. Go for I it. wanted to wish uh, a happy belated birthday to my mom, her birthday was uh, early in January, um, and uh, we, 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 shame, we share, like, the same time of year for our birthdays in terms of uh, we're both Capricorns and uh, she's January, I'm December, but she was born, I'm not going to tell her age because she might get mad at me, uh, but she was born in a, the same year of the decade that I was born in. So every year we're actually the same age, but only for a short time because she's born in January and I'm born in December. Uh, so like, whereas I'm, I just turned 38 she uh, turned something eight <laughs> uh, in 2016 as well. So that, that's a kind of funny thing about the, the way our birthdays work. And I also wanted to give a, a shout out and uh, say a happy 50th anniversary to my parents. Uh, they've been together for 50 years and that their anniversary is actually the day before my mom's birthday. Wonderful. Uh, so there you go. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, speaking of birthdays, yeah, happy birthday, birthday. Uh, Mom Palmer. And it was also my birthday, too. It was your birthday. It's my Jesus year. Your Jesus year? 33. Is that because I said that to you, or is you already... No, no, no. That's a that's a legit thing that, like, 33 is known to be the Jesus year. Okay. Um, for those listeners, Jesus... Um, like, you're going to explain who yes! Jesus is? Yes! Well, not like, who Jesus is. Seriously? Jesus is known I, to be sure the Son people, of God who... By some people... <laughs> By some people. Okay, I, I mean, no. Now you can get me in trouble because my mom listens to this, and now I, I try to anyway. Um, I was just gonna tell them that the the re- the reference to thirty three and Jesus is to be in, in acknowledgement of the age in which Jesus died, and that it's sort of this like little nudge to say, look at all the things that Jesus accomplished in in his lifetime, year thirty three, and what have you done. Okay. <laughs> step your game up. Can we, uh, is that the end of our evangelistic moment? <laughs> no, it's never going to be over. It's never going to be oh, the Lord. end. Uh, it's just getting started. Yeah. Be careful. He didn't have a great 33rd year. Um, but, you know, just. Uh, well, who shall I fear? I'm saying you should. Who I guess, I I guess fear? The, the closest people to you, homie. I Who mean, shall like, I, fear? I don't know because if somebody give me some silver, you might be in trouble. I'm just, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm getting carried away. She's yep. giving. Me, she's like seriously cutting me with her eyes. <laughs> no, um, I. You told me not to go there. I was about to, you know, drop a little scripture on you. You know. Oh, the... oh well. Yeah, let's uh, let's, just... let's let's stay in our brand. Okay. Let's stay in our brand. All right. Um, Moving into our check-ins. That was mine. <laughs> it was my birthday. And I just want to say thank you so much to all of my friends, including Bedford, 
and other folks who came out to celebrate with me at a San Francisco spot. We did some indoor mini golfing and had a really great time. And I felt very, very grateful. So oh. thank you. Oh, it was fun. We had fun. They had they had lamb chops. I love lamb chops. Lamb chops are the best thing in the world. They had them there, and I had some. It was, and they had chicken and waffle uh, skewers, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. And you know, it's you know not to like I don't want to uh, like bring down the birthday piece, but uh, as we were leaving, because uh, my wife came with me to to hang out with uh, with y'all, and um, you know she's a San Francisco native, mm-hmm. so one of the things that she was talking about how, uh, was how conflicting it is to see a space like that in the mission, mm-hmm. uh, because it, you know it's just in a certain neighborhood. Well, in, historically, that would have been a bodega or some other space, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's always like this conflicted piece because we are, you know, all of us, except for her, I guess, are gentrifiers in this space. Um, and I enjoy you, you enjoy the fruits of gentrification in a lot of ways, like property value stuff, like easy, accessible, fun stuff like that. But at the same time, you know, I don't know who owns this establishment, but I mean, you know, it's probably... Not someone who comes from the tradition of folks who make chicken and waffles, but they're throwing those on skewers and selling them to uh, to hip folks as they walk in, including us. So it, it's interesting, and I had a great time, and I I'm probably going to go back. But uh, oh, you, know, you would? Yeah, I mean, I like the food, and it, the the mini golf was was fun. Um, but you know. You can't not move through this space without. I think you should think about what's happening and 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 understand what's happening and and you still got to live your life you know mm-hmm. um which brings me to my quick check in um and so i had the opportunity to do something kind of fun and social media ish uh well it was social media focused i did a a lecture for a black lives matter class uh at st mary's um and i did it via um facetime and so I talked about how social media and uh, social justice can kind of go together, similar to our talk at um, at uh, the National Multicultural Summit, but like more focused on uh, some of the basics of just like taking care of your identity and branding yourself. And just like I showed them our media kit, but it was all uh, kind of remote done and it just felt kind of cool. Like and it seemed like they they received it well. So that's awesome. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. So. All right. Done with check in. That was only 10 minutes and 30 seconds. So still not short. (laughs) Working on it. We're working on it. it. We're we're trying to. We're trying, y'all. We're trying. Uh, So uh, I guess this is that moment where we uh, we throw in the the jingle, right? Flavor jams. All right. So go ahead. Y'all do that. What's going on? (laughs) Hey. No, we know. What's going on? <laughs> you just click that and use that for the rest of the time. <laughs> what's going on? Oh, uh, what's going on? Well, tomorrow, because today is Sunday the 15th, tomorrow, and when the episode's going to come out, is going to actually be on Martin Luther King's uh, birthday. Happy birthday to ya. Happy birthday to ya. Happy birthday. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, and we don't need rights to sing it. So there you go. Uh, so tomorrow is going to be 
uh, Dr. King's birthday. It's a day of service nationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a day to to reflect and to to think about kind of where we are and where we're coming. And it's it's pretty ironic in a certain way that uh, maybe not ironic, but it's just timely uh, for us to have this moment of reflection one week before the end of the term of our first and only black president. Hmm. Um, and what does that mean? You know, and I think that that's some of the things that we're going to we're going to spend a lot of time on today. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And so we also encourage everybody to, you know, take a moment to really reflect about the significance and the memory of Dr. King and how his legacy lives on in your life and in your work. And one of the things that uh, folks often do is to go back and to listen to some of his archived uh, speeches. Uh, And there's many, many beautiful ones that are out there. So we just encourage you all to do that, too. Yeah, like there was uh, I was listening on my way in to uh, one of his speeches that uh, basically it was his speech about the. um, Oh, let me I'm forgetting the title. Let me get the title right. The Three Evils of Society, address yeah. delivered at the National Conference on New Politics, exactly. August 31st, 1967. Yeah, thank you. I, I I told her that, and then she wrote it down, which was smarter than me for not saying it. So um, basically, I was listening to it, and there was this, this section that was really, uh, I don't know, it just seemed, it, it, it really hit the mark for me. And it's this moment where, uh, in fact, you know what, I'm just going to play the section for us, and uh, then we can kind of comment on it, all right? The crowning achievement in hypocrisy must go to those staunch Republicans and Democrats of the Midwest and West who were given land by our government when they came here as immigrants from Europe. They were given education through the land-grant colleges. They were provided with agricultural agents to keep them abreast of farming trends. They were granted low-interest loans to aid in the mechanization of their farms. And now that they have succeeded in becoming successful, they are paid not to farm. And these are the same people who now say to black people whose ancestors were brought to this country in chains and who were emancipated in 1863 without being given land to cultivate a bread to eat, that they must pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. What... What they truly advocate is socialism for the rich and capitalism for the poor. That one is, you know, what he said, the way he ended that, like, it it really just brought some stuff together for me. And I I feel like it it was definitely one of those kind of naming it moments, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, because this idea that the rich get socialism or social social like uh, welfare and whatnot, mm-hmm. and the poor have to deal with capitalism. I mean, that's that's so exactly what this election's been about. It Absolutely, exactly where like folks are, are are coming from in terms of kind of the the have and the have nots, the one percent, mm-hmm. and like the fact that Dr. King was saying this back in the '60s. I mean, you know, right? And how folks want to forget 
and forget about the inequalities in benefits in in resources and allocation of resources over time, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, beginning with some of those land grant things that happened when immigrants first arrived to as new settlers, that they were given land, right? Mm -hmm. They they were given indigenous land to go into right right, land that was taken to go and, you know, move westward and to um, be frontiersmen Um, when they entered war, right? And they served their country alongside uh, men of color, right? Those majority culture, white, Euro-American. Men and women, right? Yeah, men and women, but historically it was mostly men. Well, I mean, women were on the the lines, too. They were in in different roles. In different roles, but the GI Bill, um, after some of those initial world wars, really only benefited white men in terms of having increased access to education, increased access to uh, low interest rate loans that allowed them to go to school, to get a better paying job, to have a house, right? And that develops generational wealth. And so when we look at the, the wealth gap and the income gap that we see now, it's not to be forgotten that it is uh, predicated upon centuries of inequities that have been compounded to promote generational wealth for white Americans and generational poverty for people of color. Right. And I, I mean, like, you know, I, I hear what you're saying about um, some of these. Uh, I think there's there's two pieces where the reason I wanted to bring in women as well is like, one, I think that we don't we, we tend to 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 not see them uh, women in these roles, but women actually took part in all of history. Right. But then the other piece is that, like, when we talk about white male privilege, mm-hmm. um, for a long part of our our history, white male, white male privilege also privileged white women, and it still does. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, when the GI Bill came, culturally, there was all these sexist things happening, but these families, right, like you said, generational wealth, these families move forward, whereas our families weren't allowed to. And in fact, you know, if you want to talk about right after World War One, and people were coming back when we were actually like building whole communities, Mm -hmm. they were destroying those communities and lynching folks and doing all this other stuff. So it's not just, you know, there's the economic piece and Mm -hmm. there's the physical piece and there's a, you know, there's, there's just the bodies piece. Our population would be higher if there wasn't so many murders of black folks back in the day, Mm -hmm. you know, and continuously now. So, I mean, like there's a reason why we're still 13% and our population kind of keeps at the same space, right? you know, but it's a whole other thing. Yeah, we're uh, not going to go down that rabbit hole entirely, but yet. yes. So go and listen to the the words, the wisdom, the iconic voice of Dr. King. Let that get into your body and into your being, your spirit, however you experience it, um, and and be in a space of reflection and and gratitude. Yeah, and we'll share this uh, this particular speech on uh, on our Twitter and on Facebook, um, and so. You know, go check it out and, you know, get past. I don't know if you're you know, I, I go back to uh, to Papa, Papa Blackish, uh, uh, the granddad on Blackish. Right. He uh, he pointed out, you know, it's not just about the I, I have a dream speech. You know, mm-hmm. it's a wonderful speech. There's more to that speech, but there's a lot more to the other speeches that Dr. King put out. And the brother wasn't like I mean, people like to paint him as this um, Zen peaceful guy. The fact is, is that he was a revolutionary mm-hmm. um, and he chose nonviolence as his tactic. But that doesn't mean that he wasn't looking for a full and utter revolutionary change in the way that civil rights were, were, were doled out in the United States. We talk about civil rights movement all the time, but the fact is, is that it was a social revolution. Um, 
And we talk about that in other movements, you know, in the 60s, and we leave out the civil rights in, in certain ways because it's weird and scary when black people talk about revolution. But the reality is, is we change some stuff or they change some stuff that we're benefiting from. And that's all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because real talk, it's easier being white now that you don't have to live under Jim Crow, too. So, you know, I'm just going to put that out there. So also related to Dr. King and his activism and radicalism is what's going on right now um, with all of the presidential nominees for cabinet positions, specifically of the slated um, attorney general, Jeff Sessions, who is a racist. known historical racist. racist, horrible racist, mm-hmm. ridiculous racist. Like, are you kidding me, racist? Like, seriously? So if y'all didn't hear it, uh, go ahead and look up one of my favorite senators, Cory Booker, on Twitter. And he has a full clip of him um, sitting before Congress uh, actually opposing the con- his confirmation, which is a very rare thing to do. It's one of the things that actually, you know, pretty much is breaking tradition and breaking course. Uh, but in his own conscious uh, and him alongside of other individuals uh, went ahead and took to the stage and took to the microphone to oppose that uh, nomination going through. Okay. Can we like slow down just a second? Cause I really want to, I mean, I, I, I know I jumped in with the racist, blah, blah, blah. And, but I want people to understand what we're talking about. Like Jeff Sessions is a person who has like had, reported ties to the Ku Klux Klan, has all these, like, actual uh, policy um, policy stances that are opposed to black lives, that are opposed to people of mm-hmm. color, and opposed to, like, a lot of different uh, uh, marginalized communities. Right. He, he, he pushes and backs unjust actions, right? Mm-hmm. And now he's supposed to be the number one law enforcement officer in our entire country. Right. And you're coming off of a wave of Attorney General Eric Holder and Attorney General Loretta Lynch, who both made such strides in in using their their platform and that position to really draw attention for police accountability. And while not all while, you know, many of those kind of um, federal investigations didn't necessarily um, result with charges in many of those cases, the fact that they went forward to the to that position because both of those previous attorney generals had the courage and not even just courage, but I would say like. I mean, the integrity, the integrity, the integrity the of their cabinet, right? right? To yeah. to do their job effectively. What's going to happen now with someone who is a known racist to be in those positions? This is going to undo so many things. Well, I mean, like, and I want to. I think I want to speak directly to our our list, our our namingers. Oh wow, I can't speak right. Our namers who are millennials, right? Mm. Because they're a slightly different generation than. Well, you're a millennial still, but you know, I'm. I've told you before, I'm a little older. I'm not that old, but I'm like right at the edge of Gen X. And the the thing that I'm I'm putting out here is that a lot of you uh, only know an Obama administration as your adult president, right? Right. Um, and there's a difference in what like the reality of what can happen is when you have these moral, ethical people running stuff who are. You know, even if they're not able to, like, step up fully, because because there's still complaints, there's still problems that happened in the administration. Mm-hmm. Everything wasn't perfect. 
But there's a difference between having people who wish they could do right but right. get stopped than people who don't give a F. Mm-hmm. And like and will intentionally use their power to undo. Right. And and I think that that was the reality up until the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there might have been some good stuff that happened during the Clinton administration, but that's even kind of questionable. You know, right. so like we're moving. I think the 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 I I would hope as a you know from a clinical perspective, um, to defray some of the shock at what's about to start to happen mm-hmm. because for I don't know how many years we didn't have voices when it came to like getting support from like, you know, the DOJ and things like that. And we're about to lose that voice again. So we have to figure out ways to go back and fetch, you know, go do our Sankofa and remember the strategies that our elders had when they were fighting these fights. Right. Because you can't just assume that a Loretta Lynch or uh, Eric Holder are going to come and do what's right in mm-hmm. the moment. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen anymore. Right. And speaking of the wisdom of the elders, it's so beautiful that this situation specifically with Jeff Sessions comes full circle 20 years later. Uh, and previously, 20 years ago in 1986, Coretta Scott King wrote a letter to Congress to her congressional leader, uh, it was Senator Strom Thurmond in Alabama, vehemently opposing the nomination of Jeff Sessions for a federal judgeship position, specifically stating that that his character, that his policies, that his politics are in such contrast to everything that that her husband stood for, that they collectively and other community members worked for, uh, for equality and for civil rights. Right. I mean, if Dr. King's wife is going to go, his widow is going to go as far as writing a letter, you know, and this is when, you know, in her old age too, mm-hmm. you know, she wasn't like, this wasn't right in the sixties. Um, I think there's something you need to listen to. So along those lines, other congressmen and women and other senators came together and sat in and opposed the nomination of Jeff, Jeff Sessions. Mm-hmm. While that happened, this is where I personally something that happened recently. This is where I hit hit my line. Okay. Can I can I just go on a this little a, rant? This is a Lamisha rant. This is a Lamisha rant. Okay, let's go. So y'all know that I have been, I would say, overly nice when it comes to my speech because I want to be in line with my with my values around how I talk about President Elect Trump. But right now, Trump, Trump, Trump. I am fired up and I have had enough. I've had enough. She's had enough, folks. I've had enough of this man. So first of all, so the first time he really got under my skin. I mean, there's many there's been many things that he's done, but three incidents in particular to me highlight some of the most un-American and unpatriotic stances somebody in that position could ever do could ever say. Mm-hmm. And it's just so in opposition with a lot of our, our collective American values. It just blows my mind. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the three things that I want to highlight are first, first, this man insults John McCain, arguably one of our most prolific American war heroes and says that he wasn't a hero because he got captured. Right. Oh well, yeah, he did that. So, and folks okay. didn't go on, don't, didn't go in on him then. A little bit, but they they let it go, right? Then he goes on and insults the legacy of a fallen soldier and the Khan family after they came up and spoke out against him at the DNC. 
Okay. And now the man done gone and insults Representative John Lewis. That's true. I. Yeah, that's what Trump does. He's he's horrible. But for me, and where where I feel the thread of similarity is that these are three different in- individuals from three different backgrounds who have all sacrificed and given of themselves for their country in different ways to uphold our rights, our liberties, and our freedoms. And for you to insult all of them, right? It's just it's just this thread that I just cannot see past. And oh. I and I just I hit the line. This, this, is, this was your line? This was... <sighs> wow. I, thought, I just hit it. Okay. I hit my, it. My line was... I know. I know. that There have been other... There's been many lines that have been crossed, but when I think about this in its totality, just these three specific examples, I don't understand how... It It, it just feels like the... the it, it, I don't know what to say. I hear you. You know, I, I, I hear you. I, I have, uh, I don't like anything the guy says, um, generally, like literally anything. He, his cadence, the way he says stuff, it's kind of dumb and I, I can't deal with it. Um, you know, I, I gotta be honest. Cause like, I, I, you know, I'm, I don't care about John McCain. Like he's, he's not, he's not a good guy in my book. So, but I, I understand you don't, you don't want to talk about, you know, veterans or POWs and stuff like that in general. Um, in that way, yes. Yeah, but like you know, John McCain, he he can you know whatever. Um, but everything else you were talking about, I, I can get. I'm not right talking about John McCain's politics. I'm talking about the fact that he served his country and he was a POW, and you're going to go insult the man on those. Yeah, you know, my problem with John McCain is that he 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 did all that stuff, and then he tried to justify torture when he was staunchly against it, and he kind of flip flopped in, in something that was so. So I hear what you're saying. I'm just trying to be authentic to myself. Okay, I can't have outrage about him, but I can have outrage about the other pieces. Um, because and, and I think it, it just speaks to this pattern of and I th- honestly, you know, when you say it, it insults, it's like fundamentally insulting. I think. His his candidacy was fundamentally insulting to America, mm-hmm. you know. Like regardless of whether people are like, oh, but he won. That's 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 a whole nother kind of problem. Right. But the fact that he thought that he was qualified to run for president is insulting, you know. Like because he's not, and we'll see as things go. And people were like, oh, you shouldn't wish bad on that because it's bad on the country. I don't need to wish bad on it. I'm a researcher. You know what I'm saying? I look at I look at facts. This dude factually doesn't have mm-hmm. any of the things that you need in a president. And when things happen because of that, I'm not going to pretend like it's not happened because of that. Right. So somebody else who went on a rant this week was a character on Blackish. I didn't go on a rant. He told people. He told them. Right. Anthony Anderson, he had like a little speech, mm-hmm. a little monologue. If y'all didn't he, see it, go check it out. He, he let them know. Y'all right. should, you know, and don't y'all ever forget it, is what he said at the end Right. Of that. But that scene really highlights, I think, for, for many, you know, who are just becoming sort of awakened to what's going on or the hypocrisy or the stress of the matter or the urgency of the matter. Well, you know, for many, well, in the scene, so in the scene, I'll describe that Anthony Anderson and his character, what's his character's name? 
I forget. Okay, I forget too. So he's at work, um, and he works in, an, in a marketing and advertising firm, and they're around the, the table, the conference table, having a conversation, and the head boss is kind of in this space of, oh my goodness, Trump, this and that and the other, and looks around the room and then challenges Anthony Anderson's character and says, well, aren't you, you know, how, are, don't you feel a certain type of way about this, or aren't you concerned? And then Anthony Anderson goes on this rant. And goes on this beautiful, beautiful monologue, really expressing that historically for people of color, you know, we have never been without moments in history of being oppressed. And so that this moment is nothing new and that he's always been angry. Right. But historically, we don't carry that anger on the surface and that we continue to live with a with a cloud of hope and optimism over our heads in the most darkest of scenarios and environments and situations. Well, you know, I would say, yeah, I I would, I do want to throw out that he wasn't talking about people of color. He was talking about black people. Um, You know, and I think that we can make those distinctions because we have different history than everyone else in the the country Mm -hmm. around this. And I think that it spoke to this, this sense that I think I felt, I, I mean, I really identified with what he said. Um, of this idea that, like, oh, look at all these people running around looking sad. Right. You know, where were you this summer when all that stuff was happening and right. all that injustice was happening? Where were you when Mike Brown got killed? Where were you when, like, when, when the new OJ stuff comes out? And you know that, like, even whether he did it or not, people are just being racist and reveling in it. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, it there there's this idea that, um, you know, because folks didn't get their way in this election, that suddenly there's this, like, deep, like, world-shattering crisis. Well, you know, like like he said, man, black folks haven't been getting their way for a long time. And, he, and I ain't just talking about in the United States. I'm talking about all over the world because colonialism is still affecting everything in Africa, and it's been destroying kind of our families, our homes, our economics, our environment, you know, like— mm-hmm. For ever, for for since the Enlightenment, you know, mm-hmm. what I mean, since Europeans decided to come out of the come out of the Europe and start doing stuff, and other people have their stories and their experiences, and I don't want to take from it, but we have ours, you know, and part of it is being disappointed in the United States, being disappointed of the United States, and particularly that even with all of that, we continue to support the United States, we continue to 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 innovate, we continue to. To, to work, we continue to fight in the armed forces to serve, mm-hmm. you know, like, and we do it with distinction. Like our folks, when they do, when we do do work in this place, when we're allowed the opportunity, we always excel. Right. And to get these kind of weird, like side looks when you're not, you know, dysfunctional because of this one thing that happened. It's like, if I, if I got, if, if, if I had a breakdown Every time some existential thing happened in the United States that, like, put us in jeopardy, I wouldn't be able to work. Right. You know? Like, I wouldn't be able to do anything. And, I I, I mean, it, I don't want to—I uh, guess I'm ranting now. But, um, yeah, it's just, you know, blood, high blood pressure, diabetes, all that other stuff that happens with, with black people that bring our, um, our health down, obesity, all of it has to do with the stress that comes of these disappointments over and over and over again. So, yeah, you can pass me with all that, you know, doom and gloom, too. Right. Well, there are also 24 members of Congress who are also passing on attending the 
inauguration of President elect Trump. And hopefully that number grows. And they have rallied around um, Representative John Lewis and Trump going on Twitter, uh, calling, trying to call him out. You know, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. And yeah. So for those who are in opposition and boycotting the inauguration, we're going to get to that a little bit more. But I, I think it's a beautiful stance. There's one other thing that happened that I want to bring it on in the what's going on. And I don't know if you know about this, but the U.S. Mint is releasing a gold coin featuring an African-American woman on one of the sides. Is she African-American? She's visibly black. Right. She's French. She's French, though. Right? It's the Statue of Liberty. That's what you're talking about. It's a Statue of Liberty, but it's it's modeled in the representation of a black woman. Oh. That's cool. I don't know how many people are going to be walking around with $100 coins, though. Like, is that an accessible thing? It's absolutely not. It's $100, right? And it's a coin. And, like, it's just... Yay! The, there guess. are a lot of... Yeah, Ooh. that... that. There are a lot of I was I was I heard about it and it's like oh that's neat and the the plan is for the U.S. Mint to release other uh, series that are culturally representative of different of different groups. But that's not representative of our group. That's like a French a, a white French sculptor put together his interpretation of liberty connected to brown. No, people. they refashioned her. But it's not us. That's like that. I mean, like. If you're going to show a, cult, a cultural interpretation of us, I mean, we have culture. We don't need, like, some white interpretation of our culture. You can just go and ask the story about, you know, like, like African proverbs, or you can talk about, like, the okay, history of— but do uh, you want—what do, do you think just simply about an African-American or a visibly appearing black woman being on the side of a coin? I want a real black woman. Not like a, a, a artist interpretation of a fake like black woman from uh, what I'm saying is you like, would prefer like a historical figure. Absolutely, I mean put Maya Angelou on there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like put um, you know Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth. You know what I'm saying? Like put like some. I mean I know there's other stuff with them on there, but why not more? You know what I'm saying? Lincoln's on a bunch of stuff. You know, so like I I, I guess put Michelle Obama on that mug. How about that? How, How about, about that? that? So the question is, Bedford, are you going to buy one? No. I'm going to buy one. I'm not. I'm absolutely not. That wouldn't... Okay. I want one. Okay. You, you just, you know, it, I, I'm not. I'm trying really hard not to judge. But, like... Judge! It's a waste of money. It's it, you're, Who are you giving the money to? At least make sure that the money isn't going into, like, the pocket of some rando person. You know, oh. it needs to go to charity or something like that. Otherwise, you're spending $100 on something... That isn't going to be worth $100 when you try to get rid of it. And, you know, I'm just saying. They usually have their weight in. So is it that the gold is $100 worth of gold? Yeah. Then just get a a necklace or something. I don't know. Anyway, can we move? We're way off. Okay. I just wanted to bring that up. You know, it's an important piece. It's it's not. Okay. It's not. All right. Not to you, but to everybody else. It was, you know, big news. It made news. Black folks in the news on the on the gold coin. It's not black folks. It's a statue interpretation. It's a representation of of a black woman. No, it's not. Who? What's her name? Okay, that's what I'm saying. All right, I hear what you're saying. So this takes us into feedback from our neighbors. Last week, we asked y'all to let us know what your plans were for surviving the inauguration, and some of y'all hit us back with uh, voice recordings and tweets, so yeah, we're yeah. going to play them for you. 
So we'll we'll play. Let, why don't we? We'll let's do the ones that are written first, and then we'll play the last one. Okay. Okay. So like, uh, we got. I got a wasn't really a tweet. It was like a instant message uh, from a person whose initials are JC, and uh, what she said is, "My plan for the inauguration is to ignore it," and my reaction to the looming Trump presidency. Um, all fall on the anti-social spectrum of anger, spite, hostility, denial, apathy, resignation, and not to forget a good dose of schadenfreude, uh, which is a sense of uh, being happy at someone else's misfortune. So she has schadenfreude <laughs> for uh, his supporters who screwed themselves. And she wanted to point out that it's not noteworthy or inspirational, but it's just real. So, um, well, thank you, JC. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's I think that's a real reaction yeah, that people have, right? Absolutely. Like, I mean, she went she went all through the 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 spectrum of of good emotion words. Um, so, yeah, that's a that's a rough one. <laughs> yeah. At Doctor Ped Dentistry wrote to us on Twitter, "I am in mourning with Obama leaving, so therefore, black clothes." Yep. So, so all black, like it's time to put the veil on. Mm. We'll have some wailing going on, maybe, mm. you know, I mean, I, I guess it's like this idea of him leaving and the family leaving. I mean, that that's lost. That's real. Mm-hmm. Right. And we got one more. Yeah. So, uh, at sharp tax, which is coming off of Twitter says, I'm leaving the country and forgetting about Donald J. Trump for this week, and we'll deal with it when they come back. So there's another one of this complete avoidance. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm just done with this. I'm I'm gonna go sip some sip some margaritas on the on the beach somewhere, and or I guess it's winter, so maybe there'll be smoke. Or was it cocoa? Getting cocoa somewhere. Um, but yeah, they're not going to be here for this. Right. Um, and a lot of people aren't going to be here for this because, like, folks are not going to that inauguration. Tickets are, it's easy to get a ticket. Mm, mm, it is mm. easy to get a ticket to this inauguration. I remember I went to the inauguration for President Obama in 2008. Right. Well, we hustled for real. Like, I mean, hustled, hustled. I give y'all a whole nother story, which we're not going to go into right now. Uh, but, uh, it was. It, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a very different experience. Uh, it was a very happy day for everyone involved. Uh, but, yeah, I don't see... I, this is going to be a day of protests, mm-hmm. apparently. Like a million women? Is that what's happening? Yeah. So speaking of women, we had a wonderful neighbor call in and let us know how they're going to handle the inauguration. Give it a listen. So I am leaving a message in response to your question about how I intend to process or not process the inauguration. Um, and it's interesting because I, I think about it in, in two different ways. As a woman of color, I think I am in still in a state of, of, of shock and fear and confusion. Um, and I think the inauguration is the, the culmination and, and the start of really dealing with the ramifications that our country has decided for us. Um, and so in, in that sense, I, I don't know how I'm, but truly I don't know how I'm 
coping or intend to cope um, on that personal level. But as a teacher, I think that my perspective is so different because I'm able to use um, my classroom and, and my experience with students as a way to help them to navigate their own values and how they want to be inspired for action over the next four years. Um, and so I hope, or you know, it's my hope that kind of through that processing with my students, um, I might be able to get to some better place uh, personally myself because I know that it is really hard for me um, as it's been really hard for a lot of people. Wow, that was so poignant. You know, they really, the caller really acknowledged the complexities of having, you know, a personal response, but then also a professional responsibility to others, particularly in their role as a teacher and like being there to shape and encourage, you know, the next generation of young minds. Yeah, it seems like she was, uh, I mean, it's one one of those kind of coping strategies that I think uh, a lot of people don't understand unless they're in service industry or service kind of fields where they help people where sometimes you really can find a sense of clarity and a sense of um, understanding of what you're going through by helping other people go through it themselves hmm. you know so that was pretty cool absolutely yeah. so, uh, hopefully we can get some more um, calls for our uh, feedback from the from our neighbors this was a, a good one so if you uh, uh, would like to Leave us a message uh, that might be on the show. Call us at 607-YOU-NAME-IT, or 607-862-6348. So thank you for our call-in, who shared your voice with us, and we appreciate y'all. And it's something we're going to continue to talk about. But on today's segment of Real Talk, we'll explore the complexities of grief, mourning, and coping in the current political storm. All right. So in this segment of Real Talk, I want to know specifically from you, Dr. Palmer, and the question that I have is, is this political transition a time of mourning, particularly for people in marginalized communities and their allies? I think it absolutely is. I mean, it seems like that's what people were saying, right? I mean, we had one person tell us that uh, they're going to wear all black. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and I, I think that's a pretty poignant statement. Um you know what? What mourning and what uh, grief is about? It's about loss. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about losing something that you hold dear and knowing that you can't get it back. And when we talk about these last eight years uh, of having a president who validated so much about so many different people, you know, the fact that he was able to be there meant something. I was watching. Um, his last address, which was awesome, by the way, I don't know if uh, if if y'all haven't watched the last presidential address, you need to watch the last presidential address. It was like basically like if you took um, every NFL touchdown dance and then did the, the what was your Chicago uh, Super Bowl shuffle, Super Bowl shuffle, put that all together, uh, victory lap, and and add on to it a a, a, a star spangled bannered. Uh, a fireworks show that was his uh his 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 uh his going away address but one of the things that i noticed and this is going to be a weird thing to say and this is this but it's just real um i noticed that he had a little bit of a hard time with his razor um the preceding day or so and he had a couple of razor bumps um which is a weird thing to say except for the fact that 
I'm looking at, at Bedford yeah, yeah. sideways. Like, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the fact that he gets razor bumps just like I do. Like, he experiences and life. And does that make just him like, relatable? Yeah. I think, you know, another time, you know, one of the things that I saw in another one of the speeches, and it's like, there's things that you see. If I if I brush my hair in in the direction other than the direction that it should be brushed, it looks weird. So it goes like so if I brush up or if I excuse me if I brush down and then I brush forward, a line happens basically. It's like a parting that happens in your hair, and it's something that you don't want to happen generally when you have a fade, when you have like a the kind of hairstyle that I have and many other black men have. Um, I saw during one of his other speeches. Where somebody had messed, he, they got that line off. They had, like, brushed down, and they should have brushed forward. And he had that little line, which is nothing. And, and trust me, I, like, if you don't know about that, even I would say even black women probably don't see that very much. They don't understand it. But if you're a black man, you know when someone didn't get that that good stroke on that brush. Um, you don't, when, was, when has there ever been a time when I could relate on something so fundamental, simple, and unspoken of. There's no writing about this. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Where this man is just another man who I can be like. So the thing that know? comes up for me is that traditionally, you know, we think of mourning in the concept of loss, of people dying. And I think that there has been so much minimization of what this transition will be. And also that it's just unknown, too. Like, well, I mean... Not all of it's unknown, but, you know, there's a there's a bit of a denial. There's a bit of a of a false optimism. And there's a lot of things happening and that the context of it is not in a traditional place where people typically relate to the idea of mourning. Well, I think I don't know. I think it is actually. And I think people mourn differently, you know, and people deal with stuff differently. So, um, you know, the way that people take on grief there are different stages and people know different ones. The ones that I would like highlight, um, and they're not in any particular order because they kind of come in these waves and they can just happen. Um, people have shock and disbelief. People get really angry. People feel guilty. People feel sadness. People feel fear. People feel, and they, they, they eventually at some point can accept it. Um, and, I, and I'm willing to bet that people who are listening right now are in some stage of that, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and when you put it that way, and when you use those specific terms, and then you can think about, oh, wow, how have I felt about this political transition? I'm certain, I could certainly agree with you that that the majority of folks have felt some one or if not many of those emotions that you just listed. Well, I mean, I think like, you know, and you don't have to feel all of them. You don't even have to feel. I mean, the thing is, is that when we lose, we lose things, we we feel it differently. Mm-hmm. We experience it differently. And there's different ways that. We have to kind of approach it. The problem is, is that a lot of times we think people should feel exactly the way we feel at the time that we feel it. Mm-hmm. And that can cause all kinds of problems with both ourselves, with our relationships, with other people. Um, I think that, you know, when it comes to what we're losing, um, it's different for everybody, you mm-hmm. know. And it, it it differs based on, like, again, like kind of calling back to the millennial versus the Gen X folks. Like... For millennials, this is their first president that they might have, like, remembered. Because, I mean, like, if you don't, if you're at least a first liberal president, you don't remember, if you were born in the mid to late 80s, you don't really remember Clinton. You don't remember what that was or what was going on at that time. And and you remember pieces, but it's not, like, adult clear. But Obama is, like, your dude. You know, Bush is, like, this weird thing that happened in high school. 
you know, versus somebody like, you know, right where I am, where I graduated college. So my whole college time was dealing with, uh, you know, it was college and high school was all Clinton. And then Bush comes in and all this scary conservative neo stuff and war happens as I'm like ushered into like true adulthood. Right. After after graduating from college. But I went and ran back to school because I knew it was going to be crazy, you know, and now finishing school right as I right like right before I finished my doctorate suddenly there's a black president so there's like this plethora of stuff and there's like these weird feelings but like that's completely different than say a baby boomer right you know so, so we've we've really confirmed the fact that yes this time can be compared to and is a period of mourning so how do we cope with mourning and with loss I mean there's a lot of ways to cope right um I, I think one is understanding and normalizing those those different ways that people kind of can can feel during a loss. Um, but I think that you also need to to take it on. I mean, you have to acknowledge it. You have to acknowledge what's going on. You can't like pretend like it's not happening. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you have to acknowledge it publicly to people. You don't have to have these like deep emotional statements to folks, but it means like you need to look inside yourself and say, what's going on with me? Because if you don't, bad stuff can happen. I mean, like when, and it's just like any other emotional or mental distress, you can go into a space where you're going to treat people poorly because you feel crappy. You're going to treat yourself poorly, right? Right. You know, you might eat the wrong stuff or drink the wrong stuff or not get enough sleep or stop your exercise routine or whatever you're doing. Or you might kick your dog or yell at your spouse or yell at your kids or say something crazy to your boss. You know, that ain't going to be useful for you later. Right. Um, So having that self-awareness and acknowledging what's going on, because it can, without acknowledging, it's possible that these feelings might come out in different ways. And it shows up differently for different people. Uh, Stress in the body shows up in different ways. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and and this is this could be a pretty major stressor when you Mm -hmm. add on that you're not just losing this kind of golden era right Mm -hmm. but we're but a lot of people feel like we're going into a dark ages you know Mm -hmm. and like there's actually a a interesting little uh you know graphic of obama like looking sadly at the country as he kind of steps out of the white house and he clicks a light switch and then the lights in america go off Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and i mean like someone made that someone felt that you know um and to a certain extent one could could push that because immediately there i mean there being attacks on education and attacks on academia and attacks on healthcare and attacks on anything that was because and here's the problem when you have someone who you wanted to mess with their legacy, if someone does positive in almost every aspect of of American life and you want to undermine their legacy, then you're trying to undermine American life, you know, and that's scary, especially for people who are vulnerable. Right. So I want to circle back a little bit to coping. So you started with sharing with us that it's important just to acknowledge what's going on for you and how you're experiencing perhaps this time of mourning or loss. What are some other coping behaviors that people can participate in? Well, I think, I I mean, you know, we all know what people do. I mean, when folks lose folks, we tend to move towards ceremony. You know, we do things to take care of ourselves. We do things that are ritualized. I mean, that's what funerals are. Mm -hmm. You know, that's even what going away parties are or... um, you know, like, uh, I don't know, graduation can right. be sad. You know what I mean? Like when you get, when you, it seems cool, but when you're sitting in an audience and you realize you're moving away from your friends, that can be scary. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, 
I think that what we have to do is is we have to think about what are the ways that we take care of ourselves when other things happen. How did you take care of yourself when a family member passed? How did you take care of yourself the last time you had a breakup? You know, some people have breakup pity parties. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes people have breakup. This is awesome. I'm free parties. You Divorce know what I'm saying? Party, like, uh-huh. like it just depends. Like yeah. um, so. Speaking of ceremony and celebration, there are a lot of different things going on in different communities. Uh, to boycott the inauguration and to uplift some of the other beautiful narratives of unity and togetherness. So we talked about it a little bit last time, but some things that I really wanted to acknowledge were, one, the Women's March that has spread across the country. So the National March will be in Washington, D.C. on Saturday the 21st, but specifically here in the Bay Area, there are marches in three of our major cities, in Oakland, in San Francisco, and in San Jose, all on Saturday. Um, So look it up on Facebook or Eventbrite, and you can find that. All right. Are there other stuff going on? Yeah, there's some other some other events that I, I did a little uh, search and I found that there is an event happening called Take Back the Ball. Um, and that's a specific event to um, promote, I think, charity. And uh, it's a bit of a fundraiser, but also in the spirit of um, anti-inauguration and anti-Trump. And there is the Bay Area Resist Trump event that's happening as well. All right. All right. You know, can I can I propose an event? Sure. I, I, I still I'm coming back to my second line idea. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, and I, this is what I plan to do. I, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I haven't figured it out yet, but I'm going to celebrate. I'm going I'm to be happy that day. Um, You know, I like two reasons. One, it feels better to be happy. And two, like there's a whole swath of the United States, uh, the public in the United States who feel a specific certain kind of nasty happiness at the idea of people like you and me being sad about the fact that Obama's leaving. And I refuse to give them that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I refuse. I'm sorry. But, you know, if you're, you know, I'm just saying, if you're a racist, if you're a sexist, if you're a misogynist, if you're a Klan member, if you're whoever these, like, nasty, deplorable basket being people are, I'm going to be happy, yo. Because I just had eight years of wonderfulness. And... You know, that Schadenfreude piece is a little bit in there. I This guy ain't going to work out the way y'all think it is. Mm-hmm. You know, to be honest, all of y'all, we're, you're on my side and you don't even know it. And you'll see that as time pro- progresses because, mm-hmm. I mean, the reality is, is that we have an, a person who's just not qualified, who has the wrong values to, to, to promote any kind of prosperity in our country. And it sucks. And I wish that it was different. But it's not, and we're going to have to deal with it. And to be absolutely real, we're all going to have to deal with it. Right. You know, so, you know, we're going to have a party. I'm going to figure it out. Even if it's just me, uh, you know, taking a shot every time the dude says, this is a, you know, th- this is this is just the best thing ever. A I'm shot the best of water. Ever. I'm grown, man. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Messing with you. Hey, it is what it is, folks. I'm just, I, you know, it's, you know what? It's a holiday. Like I said, like when, when there's, when there's good or bad uh, for a holiday, you sometimes just need to have fun and do what you need to do. Just be responsible, be safe. Don't do anything that's going to, that wouldn't be things that you would normally do. Um, because sometimes grieving will get you to do that. There's a lot of babies that got made that way. Uh, so, you know, don't make no Trump babies, people. Um, and don't start no new drug habits either or anything like that. I'm just shaking my head, y'all. Hey, 
So speaking of health, does that does that wrap our, our real talk? Time for that self-care. And it's time for that self-care tip of the week. All right. And so in relation to what's happening with the new administration and the threats of repealing Obamacare, we wanted to remind y'all of the power of going to the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that power. Yeah. Well, the idea is a little bit of use it before you lose it. Yeah, because they're trying to get rid of health care quick, fast and in a hurry. Right. So in an article written by Elizabeth Whitman, published in the International Business Times, they examine why millennials avoid visiting the doctor and the impact it has on healthcare costs. Whitman writes that compared to other generations, millennials prefer retail and urgent care clinics, and they visit primary care physicians less often than their other counterparts. In one survey, they found that over half of millennials indicated that they had not visited a doctor in the last year. And 93% of them said that they would not schedule a preventative health care appointment. What's up with that? So for those listeners who are avoiding the doctor and prioritizing their weekly meetings, cash in some of those sick time hours and schedule an appointment for your primary care, dentist, and eye doctor. Yeah, I mean, use that, you know, if you're under 26, then you're you're covered, right? Under your parents, if your parents have coverage. Um, real talk, I, I think, you know, this... I, I, I know where the article is coming from and they're using millennials as an example, but this has been an issue for young people. You mm-hmm. know, when people are young, we feel like our bodies are indestructible and mm-hmm. we don't need any help with anything. Trust me, my people, my 20 year olds, my 18 year olds, my 25 year olds, my 26 year olds, 27, you're starting to feel a little pain. 28, there's a pain in your body in some place that has no reason or rhyme. And it's just going to be there. It's not going away. So I'm just saying to y'all, like, to to, to kind of just put an extra bit on there. It's like, you know, you're not invincible. There's all kinds of things that you'll wish you would have done when you were younger, including uh, put more away for your uh, retirement, get life insurance, and go to the doctor. Uh, you don't, I mean, you don't want a root canal when you could have stopped that stuff early. Right. Absolutely. So... Take the time, clear your calendar, cash in your sick time, use it as there. And I'm preaching to the choir over here. There's some things that I need to do for myself, right? I need to go see the dentist and the eye doctor. And so it's a little bit for me and a little bit for y'all too. So Yeah, I'll be going to the doctor, y'all. Shoot, I'm, I'm getting old though. So I, I, I fit the, <laughs> the, the, the the demographic. I'll be going in and they be like, what do you want? And I'm like, I want you to check stuff, whatever it is. <laughs> be aggressive. Be Be aggressive. You uh, have to be. That health literacy is so important. It's real. And particularly for, for in the experience of uh, communities of color versus majority culture communities, the health literacy is taught in different ways. And so people of color are often uh, told to, you know, visit the doctor and not ask any questions or to take the doctor, you know, that their time is precious and they don't have enough time for you or, you know, mm-hmm. so you engage with them. It's found that, that people of color engage with physicians and, and healthcare professionals differently. And part of that being aggressive is asking those questions and making sure that things are done and checked up on, um, making sure that all your questions are answered and that you have an established relationship with somebody. And if that, if that person is not able to, to do that um, and you have alternatives and you can find somebody else, do so. Yeah, and I, I mean, the, the other piece, because I, I just want to make sure that we also talk about healthcare just a little bit. Um, for There's a lot of studies out there specifically for people of African descent. Uh, we get treated differently when we go in. 
we don't get asked as many questions. We they assume that our pain tolerance is higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get poor bedside manner, and we don't get tested for stuff that we should be tested for. And that's what I meant about that. Be aggressive. We really um, get neglected in the healthcare industry all across the board, including in terms of mental health care. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to take that in hand for yourself. If you're out there and you haven't been, go get checked out and make sure they do what they're supposed to do when they do a physical. If your clothes don't come off and they called it a physical, that wasn't a physical. Real talk. So that that's a real talk self-care tip. Hash. Was it smash up? Mash up. Mash up. There you go. There it is. Hip. So for, we really do want to hear from y'all. So hit us up on 607-YOU-NAME-IT or 607-862-6348. Leave us a message. Share something with us. Respond to some of the things that we've talked about and let your voice be heard. Yeah, let us know what you want us to talk about on the show even. You know, sometimes we might be influenced and we might actually make that happen. Mm Mm-hmm. So for details about the topics mentioned on this episode, check out our website, namingitpodcast.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Naming It Podcast. And as always, if you like what you heard, if you laughed, if you nodded your head in agreement, if you put your fist in the air, snapped a few times, you ought to leave us a review for that on iTunes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, you can also uh, leave us reviews and follow us on our new uh, our new space at Blog Talk Radio. Uh, so go ahead and do that too. Where can we find you, Lamisha? You can find me on Twitter at Lamisha Hill. And I'm at DRBF Palmer. Uh, and uh, what's the last thing you said? We always give a special, special thank you, shout out, much love to music on Naming It, provided by Lee England Jr. And you can check out his work on Twitter at Lee England Jr. Alright. So violinist. Yep. Cool. So is that it for that? That's it for episode number 22. We are in the books. All right. Keep naming it. Peace, y'all. Easy parking with Easy Trip. Now available at Dundrum Town Center. So you can now use your toll tags to park in our car parks. Simply register at easytrip.ie forward slash parking. Easy parking with Easy Trip. Dundrum. Where more happens.